Are we recording? Oh, hi. Okay. Uh, welcome to the breakfast. Welcome. Welcome. <laughs> welcome to breakfast at the beanery. I'm Becca. I'm Mika. And we finished season three of Gotham, even though at the end of last episode, we said we wouldn't do that because we're liars and we have zero self-control. <laughs> we're actually halfway through season four now and we are feeling it. So if you haven't already guessed, this is not a spoiler-free podcast, so proceed with caution. In the first episode, because we were summarizing, I don't think we really went into detail about certain plot points, but we'll probably go into more detail in this one just because we're covering one season. So who do we want to start with? I mean, we could talk about what Bruce went through, or is going through, went through, because we're in season four, right? Okay. Um, let's see. In season three, he has to deal with the fact that he was cloned by Dr. Hugo Strange. So at the end of season two, there's this release of experiments, so people that Dr. Strange experimented on, and he worked at Indian Hill, which was like a subdivision of Wayne Inter Enterprises that Bruce was kind of looking to take down. And one of these experiments was his own clone, 514A, 514A, 5. We just call him 5. He calls himself 5. It's all good. <laughs> What else? He finds out that the people running Gotham aren't necessarily Wayne Enterprises, but this organization called the Court of Owls. Of course, he doesn't do this by doing his stellar detective work. He is taken by them and replaced by his clone, I think midway through the season. It's been a minute. And it's at this point that we find out that the Court of Owls, surprise, surprise, is not like the head of everything. The Court of Owls is basically being run or taken over by Rachel Ghoul, who eventually brainwashes Bruce to help him cleanse Gotham, which is his whole deal. It's his whole shtick, yeah. Yeah. So at the end of season three, we see Bruce spreading this virus through the city. He ends up the season with killing Alfred only to use the Lazarus waters. So Alfred's revived, but obviously Bruce is heartbroken and guilt-ridden. But he ends up starting his masked vigilante work. So there's that. So our boy Bruce went through it in season three. I think also to add on to that, we have Bruce and, and Selena has kind of been set up, right? And in season three, he very specifically pushes her away. Mm -hmm. And then when five comes into the picture he tries to reach out to her and she immediately picks up well almost immediately picks up that he's not bruce he's not who he says he is so season three they actually start dating but selena is very reluctant about it they go on a few missions together to take something for the court of owls and then selena's mother shows up and saves them from danger. Selena was abandoned when she was, I think, four by her mom, so it was very upsetting for her. Then it turns out that her mom was only there for the money that Bruce has. She found out that Selena and Bruce were dating, so she set up this whole plot to get millions of dollars or thousands, I can't remember, money that I don't have <laughs> from Bruce, and Bruce knowingly, I guess, he he gave the money mm -hmm. knowing that this was the reason why Selena's mom was in town. He wanted to believe that Selena and her mom could reconcile. And that's right. when Selena's like, what the hell? You lied to me. You guys are the same. Right, right. So that's what pulled them apart this time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but this time it kind of stuck because they really don't interact for like the rest of the season. Pretty much. So by the time that Alfred gets, like, hospitalized, obviously we as the audience know that Selena's been there for Alfred because she... They have, like, this mutual understanding. But Bruce, he was kidnapped. He was brainwashed. He has no idea. Like, the last thing that we know of him is that he tried to... He tried to get closure with Selena, only to be kidnapped. Right. So by the time that Alfred's hospitalized, she comes to visit, and he pushes her away. Quite cruelly, too. <laughs> But that's the, the part where he 
how what does he say something something about i know you you only care about yourself and she's like i thought you did and walks away it was it's really compelling it's very hurtful <laughs> yeah so that's that is pretty much their story i feel like bruce and alfred are pretty detached from the rest of the group at that point lucius has started working at the gcpd yeah. So he's kind of transitioned from the Wayne Enterprises side of things to the GCPD side of things. And Jim is just very detached. <laughs> what else is new? He's not... He interacts with Bruce on occasion. Though I don't think we get into him being, like, mad at Alfred for not being good at what he does until season four. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, seasons one and two, we have Jim and Alfred co-parenting Bruce and then season three when Jim's at his low point he's very absent from Bruce's life and then in season four which is the season we're watching now he somehow finds himself to be in the position where he thinks he's valid for calling Alfred out on being a bad parent figure which is very it's an interesting choice it's, it's, it was an interesting, interesting. choice <laughs> yeah yeah, I mean, okay, so we can go into into Jim a little bit, because he's the other, he's one of the three backbones to the plot of Gotham. So Jim is now working as a bounty hunter. I don't remember if he effectively, he quit, I guess, in season two, or I don't think he was fired, right? Um, I'll be honest, I don't remember. I just know that he's not a cop quit at the beginning of season two then he was like reinstated because of oswald and then from then on i don't remember so who knows <laughs> we're so good at this um so he he's not a, he's not a cop at the moment oh oh sorry i just read it okay well what, what was it <laughs> so jim Ugh, I, I don't want to get it. This is why we should have done specific episodes. Well, it's too late now by the time we do it. Oh my god. Um, let's go into it. He has the truth serum thing with Strange. This sounds so strange. <laughs> so he gets the truth serum from Strange and basically is like, well, what's holding you back? And we find out, this is at the end of season two, that Jim's very guilty. Strange basically tries to strip that away while he's in this drugged state of, well, if you weren't so guilty, then what would you do? And Jim really wants to find Lee, his love interest, who we all love. <laughs> 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 Sorry. Just a little bit of my bitterness seeping through. At the end of season two, he decides to leave because he wants to go find Lee. All right. <laughs> And then at the start of season three, a few months have passed and he went to go find Lee, but he found out that she had moved on to some other guy. <laughs> Mario. Yeah. Um, when he saw that she had moved on, that's when he decided to become a bounty hunter because he was so <laughs> he's I feel like I wanna go on a tangent about how pathetic he is, but I'm gonna I'm gonna let him have it. <laughs> I'll let him have it. Yeah. This is why this is why we can't be trusted to do podcasts on shows that we binge because... Clearly everything starts to blur together. Anyway, so, okay, so he's a bounty hunter. <laughs> yes. So, so, the main villain, the Mad Hatter of this season, okay, the Mad Hatter, he starts killing people in interesting ways, and he basically contracts Jim to find his sister because of reasons we don't know yet, right? And Jim's like, well, I'm a bounty hunter, okay. Like, he's like, yeah, I'll do it. He's very neutral at this point. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he finds his sister, Alice, and Alice basically tells Jim all of the reasons that her brother is messed up, that he's not a good person, why she's not safe with him, and that, you know, pulls at Jim's uh, morals a little bit, and so ends up kind of finding an antagonist in... Jervis, and he puts a target on Jim, making him, like, undergo these, like, saw-like social experiments that really put him to the test. Through these events, he ends up just entangled with the GCPD again, because they're trying to find Jervis Tetch. So he, you know, halfway through the season, they get Jervis, and he goes to Arkham, and Jim, you know, his old captain, Barnes, is like insistent that he comes back to the GCPD. He 
ultimately does. I don't remember the exact decision because I feel like it was a particular something. It was it was his, it was his hallucinogenic dream. I'm like working through I'm working through it in my mind. <laughs> Basically, the Tetras have interesting abilities, so we'll go into that for a second. Jervis's ability is is like hypnosis. Right? He can kind of get inside your head, compel you, etc. Alice's is... What, how do they describe it? When you're exposed to her blood, you contract this virus where you start to slowly hallucinate these voices of your darkest impulses. So it's different for everybody. The outcome is all the same. They succumb to whatever their deepest, darkest impulse is. Most of the time they turn, like, violent. But yeah, that's her ability. So Jervis, he uses the Red Queen. I don't remember what that is exactly. It's like a very potent hallucinogenic thing, drug, word. Okay, so while he's trying to get his sister's blood, he uses that on, on yes. Jim, which knocks him into this like coma-like hallucinogenic state where he effectively goes through this really interesting and well done <laughs> dream sequence yeah where he confronts his inner demons effectively uh his his wants his his feelings so we see three stages of that i'm just going to go into it because we're here he is being led through the situations by barbara who is obviously someone that's he's got a complicated relationship with the first being what he kind of once, which is like this normal 50s style life, <laughs> um, where like Lee is like his housewife and he's got like two kids, and and I don't I don't think we're we're meant to interpret that necessarily as concrete, like specifically that's literally what he wants, so much as the idea of an, a normal, quote unquote normal life with the family and like Lee is the love interest, so yeah. He, he sees that, he sees um, Bruce and Oswald uh, as these figures of, like, mm -hmm. what can be interpreted as how he's left people behind, because I think both Bruce and Oswald, canonically, are people that he has made promises to or been someone that they can rely on in a way and has fallen short. He has to confront that. And then the third stage is him confronting his his father, the loss of his father, basically who his father was and who he wants him to be. And I think through that particular sequence and through the events of his on and off sort of battle with Jervis Tetch, he, uh, as it says on Wikipedia, quote unquote, decides to honor his father by rejoining the GCPD. <laughs> yeah. So he, uh, he does it. He does it for his dad. Yay! <laughs> After that, he ends up kind of sneaking his way into the court of owls because they've gotten involved with the Jervis Tetch virus or the Alice Tetch virus. <laughs> it's not Jervis virus. So they've gotten involved with that. So he's trying to get in from that side to stop the spread of it. Meanwhile, Bruce is already stuck in there being brainwashed to spread it so you got those two kind of setting us up for that mess i guess before we get into the rest of what the touch virus did to everybody <laughs> we could go, go into, into oswald because he's yep. the only one he's the third of the unholy trinity of this show um, <laughs> how we word it <laughs> yeah sure so he uses anti-monster rhetoric to win the people of Gotham over. So, as we know, the experiments ran loose and rampant around Gotham, which is also why, I should have totally explained this before, why Jim's a bounty hunter. He's, like, going after these quote-unquote monsters. So, he ends up winning the election. He also ends up falling in love with Enigma. Who is his, um, he's like his assistant chief of staff chief, chief of staff. staff because you know somebody that we just talked about is emotionally unavailable to be the best friend <laughs> Jim thing so he's on this like high at the start or the first half of the season really not even the first half I'd say the first quarter because by the mid-season finale we see him betray Enigma by having Ed's girlfriend killed 
Ed finds out and attempts to kill Oswald. He is not killed, obviously. He discredits himself because Ed works really hard to discredit him. On his way back up, he befriends Ivy Pepper, who we know will become their version of Poison Ivy. He recruits Firefly and Mr. Freeze. He ends up being able to get his vengeance on Ed by freezing him up so that he's a sort of trophy in his iceberg lounge. So that's what Oswald goes through. He's got like a great, it's full of twists and turns. <laughs> his plot's very much focused, weirdly, unexpectedly, not weirdly, unexpectedly, his plot is very much a romance plot, <laughs> which is unexpected only because to this point, we've seen him very much focused only on being like the king of Gotham, right? Mm-hmm. It's definitely welcome, and I think you see a lot of different sides of Oswald that we weren't previously shown, including just how doting he can be, but also how jealous he can be. And I think these are like parts of his personality that are important to humanizing him. I wouldn't normally like say that it's you know significant to humanize a villain, but he is one of those villains that is emotional. It's his whole thing. At least in this iteration. I can't speak to previous iterations of Penguin. I think he blurs the line in some ways like Bruce and like Jim, where you're like, are they morally good or bad? Are they doing the right thing or the bad thing? I think there's a lot of gray areas in this show, which is really, really cool. We have one more sort of main character plot that I well, t- two kind of. Lee and Barnes. But before we get into that, I think we should take our snack break. Okay. What do you have? What do, what do you... I've got some watermelons today. Oh, nice. I have my dad's birthday cake. I bought him Ferrero Rocher cake. It was very expensive. Oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. It was my birthday gift for him because I, I just didn't have... I didn't have the time to do what I normally would have done, which was to ask people to like film stuff for a video. Felt really bad about it, but like he he said it was like one of the best cakes he's ever had. I wish I made it for him, but again, I didn't have the time. Honestly, a Ferrero Rocher cake sounds pretty great. It's pretty it's pretty good, not gonna lie. They have good chocolate. They do. They didn't eat like I was scared that it would be too sweet. I'm not very big on chocolate in the first place, but it was the most popular choice that my brother and I thought that would like sell to everybody in the house. And yeah, it's not too sweet, which I'm really happy about. Like they just took the best parts of a Ferrero Rocher and just made it into a cake. Hmm. So good for them. <laughs> I wish they did that with Gotham. <laughs> made it into a cake. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm kind of vibing the watermelons today. Just some, some water, some fruit. I needed a moment before we get into the, uh, mm-hmm. the less fun parts of season three. <laughs> oh, are we, like, analyzing? <laughs> Is that what's happening? Well, next? here's my thought. The two, the two main plots we haven't summarized yet. <laughs> well, we haven't summarized Riddler or Selina, so. Alright, lead us into it. Okay, so with Ed, I'll start with Ed because we just finished with Oswald. Um, So Ed finds out he's trying to be better. So upon his release from Arkham, he becomes the chief of staff of Oswald. Uh, So things are looking up and then he ends up meeting this girl who looks exactly like Kristen Kringle, who, if you listen to episode one slash watched Gotham season one, you know that Kristen Kringle is the girl that he fell in love with at the Jeep CPD, who he ended up strangling to death. And he falls in love with this girl who looks exactly like her, and her name's Isabella, and it's basically a nod to, not even a nod, it's like Gotham's version <laughs> of Vertigo by Alfred Hitchcock. They do a pretty good job though. Like the actress who plays Kristen slash Isabella, she's she's amazing. I have a huge crush on her. Anyways, he is like so in love 
and wrapped up in his feelings for her that he forgets about this important dinner with Oswald and Oswald really wanted to confess to him at this dinner. Then he meets Isabella and they like spend the entire day slash night together. Um, he's very in love. So Oswald, as we know, arranges for her to be killed. And once she is killed, he falls into this deep depression. And eventually he finds out that she was murdered. So he goes into this whole like spiral of trying to find her killer. And this is where he ends up like having another character's hand cut off because he thought it was the wrong person. Barbara finds all of this out. Like she's the one who sends Ed on this journey to find out who killed his girlfriend. And she tells him outright that it's Oswald, that Oswald's in love with him and Ed just doesn't believe her. Obviously he comes to believe that and once he does, sort he shoots Oswald at the docks and thus his villainous persona is born, the Riddler, who we all know and love from Jim Carrey's iteration. <laughs> so he becomes the Riddler. What else? He It's imp- I think it's important to break down that at the beginning of the season he he's effectively befriended Oswald, right? So at this point Oswald takes him on as his chief of staff. What I don't remember exactly what he does, but he does something that, that proves to Oswald that he's intelligent. <laughs> he's the one that gets Oswald his position as mayor because mm-hmm. he's personable because he knows how to read people but also because basically helps uh, using finger quotes helps oswald to be confident in himself again because after the events of season two where oswald is like you know he's been tortured and he's he lost his father and he lost his mother like he's really struggling to feel confident in himself and, and edward kind of brings it out but I think it's important to kind of understand why and like they might they they are friends and I think that we definitely see that relationship there from both points of view and helping Oswald get that position is only good for him too and I think Ed's definitely one of our more narcissistic characters (laughs) oh yeah so he, he sets himself up to gain power as well, and then by the time that he, you know, becomes the Riddler, his whole thing is to kind of keep that power, even if it's sort of in spite of Oswald. So you get this whole plot with Barbara, Tabitha, and Butch. First of all, he had terrorized Butch and Tabitha because he thought that they killed Isabella. And then it turns around and they end up having to, like, work together in a way... I know that Barbara especially is kind of trying to play the whole field here mm-hmm. in staking her claim over Gotham, which causes some strife between her and her crew, if you will. Oh, yeah. <laughs> her partners, even, at the time. So, from the point that the Riddler is, quote-unquote, born, up to when... Oswald comes back and freezes him like he doesn't really have that much time to really be in that position yeah as the Riddler and then he loses it the rise and fall of Edward Nigma. pretty much so we talked about Selena a little bit yeah did you want to go into her into her story more we don't have to um she gets pushed out of a window by five <laughs> Yeah, we so, didn't cover that earlier. Yeah, so that's, that's the one thing I put down in my notes for her is she got pushed out of a window. It's interesting because she, I can see her doing the thing where, doing that thing, where her defense me- mechanism is to run away and to survive and look out for herself. But throughout the season, we see her also grow mm-hmm. where she yearns for that found family. When she finds out that Bruce isn't really Bruce, she tries, like, she helps Alfred out. At the end of the season, she seeks out a mentor in Tabitha. And we see more of that in season four, which is why I was like, we don't have to cover because then I thought about it and I was like, "Mm, we see more of it in season four. But basically, Bruce was wrong (laughs) when he was like, the only person you think about is yourself, the only person you care about, whatever. I know you. And that's just not true. So it just makes it sting even more that they're so far apart 
and unable to open up to each other. To that point, she... I think I think focusing on her trying to find her place is really important because first of all she loses Ivy to one of the quote monsters and then because of that particular character's ability Ivy gets older and they find her and she is pretty attached to Ivy again. Ivy ends up helping slash hurting <laughs> Bruce and Selena like finding out about the Court of Owls. That that becomes important again later because whenever Five tries to kill her, Ivy's the one that revives her. So you've got you've got this focus on their friendship that's that's pretty significant in season three. Because Selena will have you think that she doesn't care about anybody, but the truth is that she cares about a select group of people. And she, you know, Re knows them really well. She shows that with Bruce. She she shows that with Ivy. She often shows that with Jim, but I don't think they interact as much in season three. And then, of course, we get her story with her mother. So yeah, when she ends up at the end of season three trying to find a mentor in Tabitha, it kind of comes full circle, especially when you think about how in season one she looked, you know, had Barbara as that kind of role a little bit. Although, I think Tabitha's better at it. <laughs> Oh yeah, for sure. So she's also kind of figuring her place out. That seems to be a big theme for the third season. Who am I? Mm -hmm. What am I doing? <laughs> like, it's a transitional period for a lot of characters. Right. I guess we can talk about whether or not that was effective in certain areas. So I guess we can move into the analysis where we can talk about what worked, what didn't work. So the first few episodes we really enjoyed. Maybe it's just because season two was very frustrating towards the end. Was it like all Theo stuff? I just ugh. it was all Theo stuff, <laughs> and then like mental illness stuff, and like yeah, Oswald and yeah. But they find a way to maintain some sort of humor in the first few episodes that I really liked. I just remember laughing a lot. <laughs> Yeah, we really had a good time. A great with time, it. especially with Harvey. Like he, he's a funny character when he's not he's being treat like, treated terribly by the writing. As a as a quick note, season three. Well, we'll get into that when we talk about Barnes. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, but also I totally forgot to open the episode with this, so I'll just like slide this in. I do now know that. Barbara was named not for the daughter but for his wife. His literal like, actual wife. His literal wife. <laughs> um, I never Yeah, I never knew that she even had a name. <laughs> Which goes to show how much influence or impact that the writers made her have, I guess. Yeah. In the comics. But yeah, so now I know. We we it seems like it seems like Gotham's version of Barbara Keene is very original in that sense. Not a lot of people put much weight into her before. Yeah. So she still feels like an original character, just not not based off his daughter. <laughs> yeah. So just you know, we did I we Different did every, it's all it's all good. I have it down here that we had a good time with Fish Mooney being back. I loved her. She's just amazing. I wish that they did more with her. But, you know, what can you do? She was there. She showed up. So she, like, showed up at the end of season two. And they were, like, like, they made a big deal of it. And she's in the first couple episodes of season three. And then she disappeared for, like, 19 episodes. And then only she till, was, like, gone till only the end. Only die in season three. They, the they messed. I don't know. I don't know, know, I don't know if it was like, something off screen. Yeah, I never looked into whether it was something maybe, like, they couldn't afford to pay Data what she was owed. But, like, I don't know. It it was it was unfortunate because she she was one of the strongest characters I feel like for for the kind of antagonists for sure very yeah. compelling and had like these interesting plot lines that were the the doll maker plot line was horrifying but it showcased sort of how she has this ability to get her way out of a situation and you see that at the beginning of season three too when she uses Harvey as she uses him in order to get to Hugo Strange and and then she's just she's not there and then you, she comes back and she's like they did all of her stuff off screen <laughs> like all of her development was off screen and 
they just I think they kind of turn her a little bit into a plot device for Oswald <laughs> a little bit like not completely but but to to kind of turn her into another mother that he loses that's that was for him that wasn't for her so it was a very frustrating way to to kind of take her out I think that if they had had her more ingrained throughout the season then her dying would have been more effective Right, because when, by the time she does die, like, I was sad, but not- I was more angry. Yeah, uh, angry. They just brought her back for that? <laughs> like, you went through all this trouble for that? Anyway, her episodes were some of the better ones. Mm -hmm. I guess we can speak to Barnes then, because if Fish Mooney was turned into a plot device as a sort of motherly figure, to Oswald, Barnes Ugh. is definitely explicitly uh, the father figure for Jim Gordon, which boggles my mind every single day of my life. What, is, what is his first name? <laughs> I have no idea. Frankly, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, okay, so we, we kind of have Nathaniel Barnes. We kind of have uh, negative feelings towards Barnes, not because of... feels very much from a, a writing slash direction reason. From the very beginning, he okay, so he replaces Essen. He comes in as this like guy on his high horse in a way that's like, I'm gonna fix this city up. Which it which hello, that's what Jim Gordon was gonna do, right? So it, it I get why they're doing that, because Jim is not that person yet. But Jim starts the series that person. You know what I mean? He like he starts the show being like I'm gonna make this place better. And then he can't. And I think that they wanted to be like, here's someone that he can look up to that's in a higher position of power, that has the willpower to get this done, right? Maybe the know-how, maybe, you know, the... What is what is the word? I'm like losing my words today. Like he he focuses on that. Like he doesn't he doesn't lose his grip on that, so to speak. I'm really struggling with words. The way that they write him is very flip floppy, and I know that we've had this issue with him since he started being a character. Was that he kind of at times he's this character of it's like you have to do things the right way. You have to do them the right way. You can't. Uh, abuse the system. You can't, you know, be corrupt within the system. And that's the kind of character they want him to be, and the character that, like, would be a mentor to Jim. But because, A, he's a cop, B, he's, like, this person that has to connect to who Jim is as a character, he often flip-flops and he turns into a character that, like, gets aggressive with certain, um, certain suspects, or maybe demeans people in a certain way, and it just kind of, like, it contradicts a lot, but not in an organic way. There are situations where he'll talk about, like, needing evidence, and then later he, like, doesn't need that, you know what I mean? He, like, at some point tells Jim, because Jim's still a bounty hunter in this part that I'm talking about, uh, that he, oh, you can come and talk to me whenever you want, son. Um, but then, like, not even an episode or two later, he'll turn around and be like, well, you're not a cop anymore, so you're not privy to that information. So, <laughs> he'll be like, it's all good, <laughs> son. Like, he'll do that, and then, uh, on the other hand, he'll be like, well, unless you're a cop, you're no, you're not really a good man. Maybe, I don't know if it's just because we're not really receptive to the pro-cop sort of culture that they cultivate in the show, right? Like, the brotherhood. We're not really receptive to that. And so it's like, when they- when Barnes and Jim click, <laughs> we don't pick up on it. It's, it's hard for me to understand why yeah. he's like a father figure to him. I don't see it in the- in the- in the- story very clearly. I see it in the writing insofar as they're telling me it's happening. I don't see it shown. There's no- So like- <laughs> To quote Barnes, there's no evidence and I need evidence. There you go. <laughs> Where's the proof? Where's the proof? They, they- they will say it and they do this with Lee too, which is why I was saying that it was like, these are the two characters that are the most frustrating. They, they tell it all the time. The characters are always talking about how good these characters are, how, you know, they have their the saviors, you know, they're what? 
the Elena syndrome. They have the Elena yes. syndrome in the vampire um, movies. <laughs> they, they, they have all these characters say all these things about these particular two, and then those characters themselves don't show it. Like, mm-hmm. so when you get to Barnes's plot of season three, where he gets infected with the virus, and he starts to like the thing that it pulls out of him is this like this need for justice <laughs> like it's like a god which, thing where he's like it's I'm weird the, judge, the jury <laughs> and executioner i wish i wasn't directly quoting him but like that's exactly what he says you, you basically sounded like him <laughs> like it, it, it's a little over the top but not in like an effective way like i feel like people had been affected by the virus and it went pretty well like it, it made sense anyway i think you see that with well i want to say with lee and mario but like it's a little heavy-handed i guess any way you do it yeah <laughs> because they have to pick they pick particular issues that have to be relevant to the plot right which seems a little uh shallow mm-hmm. right so in that way i think barnes this is very shallow too he suddenly starts breaking his own code so to mm-hmm. speak and like killing suspects and and i feel like if his character had been a little more nuanced less over the top patriotic background music kind of kind <laughs> yeah. of captain like like the implication to me there is that essen who was the captain before him was somehow not a good captain. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like... Because he came in with the sort of clean the swamp mentality, you know, if if I may use that. And and she was a good captain. I think she definitely had her her flaws balancing the system as it was, because it is corrupt. Um, She was trying her best, and she wasn't coming from a self-righteous stance. Yes. She she tried, and I think you get you get in the first season, especially like early on, you you understand that of the people in the GCPD, she is one of the few that's trying to do it right. Mm-hmm. And and so you have this guy come in talking about cleaning it, and you know, making everybody not be corrupt, <laughs> and and it is self righteous. That's absolutely the right way to say it, and it's just not likable. And they keep telling us that it's likable, so you're like you're overwhelmed with it, and it makes it less enjoyable instead of allowing your audience to decide it for themselves. And I, and I feel like you get that with Jim too, which is part of why he's so frustrating mm-hmm. to watch because we have, and the, and this is definitely probably on the part of like the the pop culture around Jim Gordon being that he is only ever shown when he's older. So we we have this expectation of him being like the cop that works with Batman for whether begrudgingly right. or like all in to make Gotham better, right? So we we have that concrete he wants to make Gotham better and then you get into this show and he does have that but he's he also is a little flip floppy. On that note, I feel like because Jim maybe because he's been here longer or because they just write him a little differently his feels a little bit more organic like i feel like i can watch him for the most part i can watch him make bad decisions and say i can understand why he's doing that because he's in the middle especially in season three he's in the middle of this like as he would say it's seeing his darkness (laughs) like like he's at his lowest point yeah Barnes is just... They wanted us to feel empathetic towards this character when he started to unravel, and they wanted us to feel empathetic for Jim watching this character unravel. But it was like every time they had a scene together, we were like... Meh. Yeah, there was no there was no impact. Other than, why is the music swelling? Why right. do I... Why can I see the American flag? Like, <laughs> And you know what they can do um, in like a good organic family-like relationship in the GCPD because we see it with Harvey and Jim. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Do you want to go into uh, Lee a little bit? I guess we could. Unless you have any I, more I, thoughts I, on Barnes. No, not really. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> she's, she's Lee. There you go, that's it. That's Alright, everybody, we're done. Shut it down. 
she's she's um the same as Barnes in that she's very self-righteous and she is the show's Elena. That's all I can really say is that she is painted to be like this really smart, capable, like pretty much the best doctor in Gotham. They go to her for trauma therapy, they go to her for all sorts of things that she doesn't have the training for. I'm like, you have a huge city. She's really the only doctor you can come up with. The way that she talks with the villains. We were talking about this the other day, how casual and nonchalant she can come off. Oh, I just thought of the character that they, I feel like they're trying to emulate. Megara from Hercules, where like, mm. I don't know, she's got this dry humor and she can cut a man down with her words. And she can, but she's not likable in the way that Meg is because she's very self-righteous and constantly calls mentally ill people crazy and just discredits them. Yeah, I don't know what else to say. I'm like, tired. Yeah, like, well, and, and that's part of the, the plot, right, is this Jim Lee love story is unfortunately the romance of the show. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, no shades of Ben yeah, and Marina yeah. because I think they're cute yeah, and I'm happy them. for them. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's it's like they so they split up at the beginning of the season and then she's like literally moved on. Let's be clear, she has moved on. Yeah, <laughs> she's she moved on. She's dating Mario. She's engaged to Mario. Um, she repeatedly through the season is like, I don't want anything to do with you. Jim. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to live my life. I wouldn't want to be, I don't want to be in Gotham. She's like trying to establish boundaries, which I respect. I think that was a good decision on her part. And I think that the way that that dynamic fell flat was Jim being an idiot. <laughs> but she... She gets stuck, effectively, in Gotham, and then when Mario dies, well, let's step back a second. They're about to get married, <laughs> and Jim shows up, and he he's the like, maybe don't marry him. <laughs> she's, and, and to his credit, here's the issue. To Jim's credit, I don't think he's necessarily trying to win her back either. either. I think... He's he's literally like your fiance's got the virus. He's going to hurt you yeah. <laughs> because he is threatened by me. Yeah, so Mario's whole thing with so the virus did. is that he's jealous now. So yeah, yeah. So so you know that that causes issues. And honestly, the scene in the in the wedding hall was actually a pretty good scene in my opinion. Um, where where he comes in and he tries to, you know, tell her not to marry him or whatever, and she's like, I need you to leave me alone. And she calls Carmine in there, and he's like, I'm gonna need you to leave, Jim. Like, it, it's all very good. And then Mario dies. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like she, she hyper-focuses on Jim as a villain to her, like, as an antagonist, which is an interesting choice, and, like, you know, I'm not opposed to lovers to enemies. That's kind of cool. I was kind of vibing that, but, like... Then she infects herself with the virus, and now it's all... Right. I love you, Jim. <laughs> so the virus is supposed to bring out, like, your deepest thing or whatever, and it, it brings out her love her lust. her lust yes she she's also kind of focused on jim and she's like i'm gonna give him the virus so that he can be his true self and we can be together which is so funny to me <laughs> like i'm breaking because it's so ridiculous to me that that's direct parallel of barbara kane and jim gordon yeah but i'll i'll save that i'll save that because i'm very frustrated by it <laughs> I'm not even. I'm not even saying that I ship Barbara and Jim. Okay, but she was. I don't think so they're much good. Dirt by yes. Lee herself, and now Lee yes. is doing the exact same. Thing. That was. That was like. You know what? If they wanted to make us angry, they succeeded because it made me mad. That's what worked. <laughs> <laughs> 
But she, she, you know, and she serves as a pretty good antagonist for all of one episode. When she, when she, uh, basically makes Jim have to choose between dying or taking the virus. Yeah, she buries him alive. It's pretty, pretty good time. It was a good, it was a good, you know, I honestly was kind of vibing with her in that moment. Me too. Um, I was like, good for you. <laughs> and then, and then Jim, you know, takes the virus and kind of fights it for a little while and... He's the reason that Fish Mooney dies because he's all. Yeah. <laughs> That's my gym being affected. I hated that. Let me tell you what. I hated that. Like, okay. I hated that for Fish. I hated that for Jim and Oswald's relationship. I just hated it all. It was just not. It was not it. He, there's a point in the finale, I guess, after they've finished everything, I don't know, he's like, I'm gonna go leave with Lee. <laughs> and Harvey chases him down and is like, I need to give you this cure. You're a good man. For the virus. And he basically trusts Jim to do the, use the cure. And he cures both himself and Lee and then leaves. <laughs> Which... It's unfortunate. I think, you know, we're really harsh on Lee, and I say this as someone who, you know, eventually gained an understanding for Elena <laughs> in The Vampire Diaries. I think I can understand what they want to do with Lee, and I can understand how she can be an interesting character, but the the fact that they they do with her what they do with Jim what they've done with well i think it's mostly just those two where they're like these really good characters apparently <laughs> um but they like they're they constantly discredit mentally ill people which like you're writing a show <laughs> yeah about a city that has one of the most infamous like mental health facilities in fiction and it is infamous for being terrible for the record but you don't have to handle it terribly <laughs> you, can, you can have i think we did this last episode too and i you know what might as well do it every episode you can have that aspect and show those terrible things and still have a support team on the other side or it's still a show that what is being done at arkham is wrong like you can yeah do that. they don't do they that. don't they don't they and and the heroes just constantly discredit people that are affected. It's like it's like it kind of their narrative <laughs> that just made me think of another thing. <laughs> it's it's the narrative with the virus, right? They have this idea before they have the cure that like once you get the virus, that's it. Mm -hmm. You're gone. There's no helping you. And that's why people like Mario die. Because they don't take the time to try to Help, right right and um, like that's really depressing to think about because you have like, yes. a bunch of people like the fan base i'm sure is full of people who are mentally ill or have some sort of neurodivergent behavior and to like have this metaphor for well that's it for you or every time like, they ship off a villain to arkham it's kind of like yep. oh you're out of sight out of mind and you can say all you want, that, oh, it's just a show, We're like, well, that's just how Gotham is, or whatever. But it's like, but it doesn't As have to be. As the characters do. <laughs> it, it really doesn't have to be that way. And if, like, Batman truly is a story about someone who wants to make the city better, then, I don't know, it's just an interesting choice. I'm like, why, you can reflect the grit of the city without the grit of the city being sort of the, the heart of your show. Like, the heart of your show should be somebody who sees all of that and actively fights against it in every aspect, not, like, just in the, the person's bad person because they, they committed a crime. Like, that's very superficial. And it right. seems like that's all they can really explore in the show as it is right now. Yeah, we're, like, at an hour, though, so I'm like... <laughs> well, I have one more one more point before we leave. <laughs> We have on here, we've talked about pretty much everything else, but I think one of the, the biggest pros of the season, and I, and, and I want to preface this by saying, I know that we have same-sex, like, couples, or, like, queer couples on the show already established. That's been in there since the first season. I still think it was a really big deal and really, really um, impactful to have Oswald explicitly say that he was in love with Ed. 
instead yes. of coding yes. it under yes. the radar. Yeah, for other people to con like still be like, oh, you just see them as brothers. <laughs> Which like, when I first when I first saw that comment, I was like, literally how? I think it's okay if you don't ship them. You don't think that it makes sense. I definitely don't think it's healthy. <laughs> um, yeah. But within his canon, he has these feelings for Ed, even if he's not great to Ed. And I think that having that established and making that a, a plot point for him, like his romance plot, is phenomenal. And I think that was one of the better decisions that they made for that season. Yeah, and the fact that Oswald's played by Robin, too. Yes. openly gay man. It's just like, yeah. That yeah, feels good. This feels, feels good for the heart. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and it feels good, I think, well, here's the thing. Barbara's explicitly queer. Um, mm -hmm. Tabitha's explicitly queer. We both get these uh, representation of that to a degree. And, and, and it feels a little bit like... It feels a little bit like Riverdale's treatment of queer characters, where it's like, yeah, they're there, <laughs> but that's it. <laughs> like, a little like, bit of sexuality spice for the show. <laughs> it. They touched on it in season one, and then they kind of didn't really make a big deal of it, which is fine, but I just liked seeing more of it. I thought that was really impactful, especially because Barbara Keene isn't a huge... Batman character. Like we said, she's often killed off as Jim's wife. Tabitha, I mean, I don't think she's a very popular one either. Don't quote me. I don't know. Yeah, I'm like, maybe she exists in the comics. I don't know. She don't probably does. <laughs> but but the decisions that they make with Penguin, who is one of the most famous Batman villains, to have him be a a queer man and and I want to say a gay man um because they they haven't really given any reason to say that he's bi but I I'm not gonna sit here and be like you know he's not bi because hello <laughs> he could be but yeah. but based on the fact that Robin is gay I'd like to I'd like to say that Oswald is too although it might be safe to say that he's Demi or Pan at that rate because Robin himself has said that it wouldn't have mattered who it was. Yeah. That Oswald yeah. would have latched on to whoever he was, you know. He's just to. looking for a connection. So that's just He's really. Just yearning for that. That's, I think that was a really, uh, impactful because he's, he's a prominent character in the Batman universe. I wish they, like, I wish they handled it in a way, though, where even though he is, like, it's really prominent and it's great that they had, I don't know, had done something similar with someone who's supposedly good. Yes. Because everybody who's queer so far is a villain. Yeah. In one way. We. Which is, like, great. <laughs> cool. We've picked up on, on a few, I would say, a few queer cues. <laughs> For a lot of characters, um, but then it's it's never explicit. But it's so yeah, never it was explicit. Oswald, right? I'm in love with because I could we could have sat here for five seasons, like I don't know. I think Oswald's gay, and have a whole you know <laughs> document of like reasons, so many right, explaining why, and then it wouldn't have been canonically established. Which you you shouldn't have to canonically establish that kind of thing, but because of how queer people, our history with media, it is significant to establish it. So we, you know, I'll give them some credit for this show that they they give some some decent, I'll say decent queer representation. It is not great because they're all villains. <laughs> so uh, I could have I could have done something with a few of those good characters for sure. But we'll see. Who knows. Who knows how it'll go in season four and five. You do. I don't. <laughs> I definitely do. <laughs> I I know at least some of season four. I think we were talking about this before, and I think that season three was a little more entertaining than season four seems to be so far. We're like halfway. Season four very, um, very, very depresso-espresso, yeah. uh, which is fine. It's just not as Which season fun. three definitely had more of that fun in it. At least in the beginning. Yeah. 
yeah, in the in the first half. But even when we were like not vibing with certain choices in the second half, it was still fun in the way that like you wanted to keep yeah. going. Yeah, you know? we, we got through it so quickly. Yeah. We literally couldn't stop watching. Yeah. <laughs> we watched like six episodes <laughs> in one night. We were just like going ham. And we're like, hang on, what about breakfast at the beanery? Uh, oh well. Uh, here we are. <laughs> Not remembering half of the podcast. Yeah, I say most of this podcast is us like, wait, what happened? Oh man, wait, no, we should have said. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, so um, when I edit this, it's going to be so much fun. <laughs> so, yeah, so that, you know, there's our sort of recap of season three. A lot of summarizing, but they, they, they did a lot. Um, they made a lot of interesting choices. I think overall it was right. still fairly entertaining. I think that they they really there was some good humor. Um, the mm-hmm. the Mad Hatter plotline was pretty great, honestly. It I freaking love they did the Mad they Hatter. did some it's stuff. Fine, he dropped some bars. They did some stuff with Jim being like suicidal. That was uh, a little heavy. Yikes. I feel like the show does a little bit not not like romanticizing it, but. They're very careless, I think, with yeah. how, yeah, like, as they are with mental illness in general, but it's like especially with suicide, and uh, mm-hmm. they they brush over it very easily, and it's like you watch Jim and you know he's at a low point, and they they effectively establish that's where his head's at, but they don't address it, at least not in a way that will actually benefit him at all, like, and and. We want to see him be okay, right? So they could work on that. For sure, <laughs> we can work on a lot of things, though. But here we are, still watching. So I guess that's it's, like our wrap up TV. is season four. Not as great, or like not as entertaining as season three. Season three, it was it was entertaining enough that we binged it pretty quickly. So that has to mean something. Yeah, it has to mean something. (laughs) That we were very invested in the characters, which is what we've been saying all along, is that the show is very strong with their characters, not necessarily their characterization (laughs) or like the consistency of the characterization, but I guess it has something to do with the actors too. (laughs) How well they bring the characters to life. But yeah, season four also has Allison from Teen Wolf in it, so there's that. Yeah, so maybe maybe next time we'll talk about season four. And not, oh um, boys, we're on season five now. <laughs> we wanted to, we had wanted to talk a little bit about Smallville as well, but we might end up just... I think we should um, just finish this first half doing it with Gotham. Yeah, we might end up doing like a, a separate Smallville recap slash jump into it because we're on season three with Smallville. So at uh, some point we were like at the same pace of Smallville. It was bizarre. We were, like lining up the episodes, it was like in sync. It's very <laughs> now. It is weird. It is like co- like a weird coincidence how. The plot of season three of Smallville lines up with the plot of season three of Gotham in so many ways. Anyway, we don't have time for that. (laughs) We don't really have time for that, no. But we should also mention that we will probably end up doing an episode about Oswald. (laughs) Yeah, we said it last time. We probably will. It's just that the show. So finish the show first, and then like go full deep dive into like the characters like it'd be really cool if we could do like a little mini series i'm just like <gasps> that would Oswald, be cute <laughs> Jim, bruce selena the um, main characters yeah. i guess we can yeah. do lee we can give lee a little bit of love we're a little harsh on her but like she's just it's something about that. watching her and like when she talks yeah. The words that come out of her mouth—I don't like it. I—I I don't like that. I don't like it because I'm like I'm trying really hard to like it because you know she's like I don't like not liking one of the main girls in the show. It feels very Me too. High but it, then at the same time, she's just so like it's so hard. <laughs> they make it so hard. They but really I love do. I really, I really do love Marina. I love the cast. I love Ben and Marina. I love, I love their love. I just do not love the love that is supposedly existing between Jim and me. <laughs> um, 
there. Anyways, we're like super so over time. It's um, fine, you'll edit it down. <laughs> I will. Like, take out all of the pauses. <laughs> so, we'll probably, we'll do, we'll, we'll, we're doing this bi-weekly, so, you know, <laughs> that's two weeks worth of time to watch. So, like, we have watched the entirety of Gotham so, by then, who knows? We don't know. We'll find out. Either way, we yeah. will be talking about Gotham next, next episode, more than likely, um, because yeah, it feels right true. to finish that up. It does. It does feel good. Feels organic. Feels natural. <laughs> Very consistent. Consistent yeah. of us. We're nothing if not um, consistent, right? Right. Um, okay. Yeah. So. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Hope you had a good breakfast. Okay, bye. <laughs>